So we're here this afternoon with the Calvary Chapel Palos Verdes blog team to have a discussion about Exodus 21 through 23, fascinating section of scripture in which we um, have a revelation of a lot of God's law. And uh, you can see why the psalm writer said, uh, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. There's just so many fascinating things in here. We kind of thought we'd begin this discussion first at a high level view, kind of a 30,000 foot level uh, before we get down into the weeds on specifics. <laughs> so I thought we'd just uh, open it up here for discussion, guys. What are some of the big picture items you see in here that, uh, that really fascinate you? Yeah, I think God's law... Um, here written is definitely needing to be understood within the context of, of Israel and with the culture that they were in in the time that it was written. Um, but also just understanding how the law was given in the old covenant. There were really three parts to the law, which was that there was moral law, civil law, and ceremonial law. And uh, you have to be able to have, you know, the understanding and discernment as you're reading the scripture of what is moral law versus a civil or ceremonial. So, you know, the previous chapter, the 10 commandments, those are moral laws. <laughs> Whereas you get into some of this stuff in chapter 21 and 22 and 23, you're looking at more civil laws. And then when you're reading about things like the altars and the incense mm -hmm. and the things that would take place in the tabernacle or the temple, that's really when you're getting into ceremonial law. So I'm um, just thinking about that breakdown is important at the high level view. Absolutely. Do you see things in the ceremonial law and the civil law, though, that reflect something about the character of God? Absolutely. You know, as Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, he was able to go through all the scriptures testifying of how they spoke of him. And so in so many of those laws, you see how they're pointing us to Jesus, which, you know, we know that Paul says that even that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. So it's all meant to point us to him. Um, but even just within it, you see the principles behind it that remain, even though maybe we wouldn't follow, you know, to the letter of the law, we would follow to the spirit of the law. Well, I would say that it's fascinating that God had ceremonies at all. And I think sometimes as evangelicals, we tend to dismiss them, <laughs> that some of the more formal churches tend to have those ceremonies. And they serve a basic principle in just bringing things to remembrance. It's a great way to remember stuff, right? Uh, the Jews going through the Passover year after year, it becomes ingrained from a child yeah. as to what these things mean and a remembrance of their escape from Egypt. And so sometimes ceremonies are important. As uh, long as you remember the purpose of them and what absolutely. they're there to reflect, the problem with our sinful nature is we often make it a ritual and forget what it was all about. Absolutely. And then it becomes our God instead yeah. of pointing us to God. Yeah. And that's the problem with our sinful nature with the law in general is that our sinful nature um, or the law rather enhances, if you will, our sinful mm -hmm. nature or awakens it. And uh, that's why we need the grace of God and the promises of the new covenant. Um, so this is definitely based upon blessings and curses. God said to Israel, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. Whereas in the new covenant, because of Jesus's death on the cross, uh, the curse has been removed. And so as we relate to God through Jesus Christ, we get the blessing. Um, even in the midst of um, obedience and disobedience, there's no condemnation in Jesus. Well, not only that, but technically, because we're in Christ, we too have fulfilled the law. That's right. Amen. So it's. So. And I was just going to add, because uh, we were just talking a little bit offline about sometimes reading through these laws and misinterpreting them out of context mm -hmm. or not understanding the times. 
But the easy way to fix that is to remember that Jesus said that the law is summed up in love. And if you read these laws through the eyes of love, you understand the nature and character of God right. as much better as what he was seeking for us to actually do in the law. Yeah, you know, Jesus said in the New Testament that on the two greatest commandments, the love of God and the love of others, depend all the other commandments. And you can really see that in this section because in one way or another, all of them have something to do with either loving God, loving your fellow man, and sometimes both. Yeah, it's it's amazing. There's estimated 613 commandments of the law in the Old Testament, and Jesus could boil it down to the two. <laughs> and and really, it is. If you're loving God and you're loving others, it's been said, do whatever you want, because then you're going to fulfill the law. But um, yeah, these these laws are fascinating. Ones that you're like, wow, is that really in the Bible? You know, um, <laughs> but they were important for, especially this time, I think, as God was um, doing a work with a people such as Israel, such a small, obscure, uh, prior to him making the covenant with them, like, uh, or these laws with them, an enslaved people. So there's a lot of things that God wanted to teach them through the law. Well, one of the things um, I remember when we studied the Pentateuch, we saw was that in this time frame in Exodus, while they're you know, wandering, um, God is transforming them from a people who have just been set free into a nation. Yeah. And they're not quite ready to be a nation yet until they have these laws and those sorts of things. So that's part of what's what's going on. But let me throw this question out. So when the Bible starts um, in the beginning of Genesis, there's one law, just don't eat from the fruit of this tree. By this time, we have <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens of them. So what happened? Yeah. How'd we get there? <clears throat> yes. Sin entered the world through one man, and death spread to all, and all sin. We, we, and then as, you know, then the next man that was born, or the next two, right, Cain and Abel, you get the first murder, and then you get Lamech, and you get the first polygamy, you get on and on as you see the story of the Bible continuing from, you know, Adam's sin, we just see sin spread to all men, and as sin spreads to all, so death spreads to all. Yeah. And so the law, interestingly, because as we read in the New Covenant, the law reveals sin. It's the law of sin and death. So the law isn't the solution um, to life. Jesus is the solution to life. Um, but yeah, laws, laws are to correct sin and bring order to sin, but they also increase sin. So it's you're kind of it's one of those catch twenty two situations. But I will say it's this complied generally to mankind. Um, but you know, it's one of the Bible studies I love to teach is in depth discipleship, and they give the example of what they call the downward spiral, and that's what you're describing. Uh, but this happens in humanity, but it happens in our individual lives also. Right. One step towards sin, so, like David, <laughs> so often leads to multiplying sins in our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing in the multiplication of the law, is that that one step of sin has led to the multiplication of sins across humankind, within the lives of all these men, um, multiple times. Yeah, you can see another purpose in here for the law too, besides revealing just God's character. As he says in Deuteronomy a couple times, he gave it to us for our good that we might prosper because we, we need something to restrain that evil intent that's within us. Yeah, and isn't it true like when you get a law, for instance, it talks about like an ox goring another <clears throat> ox and it's like, then it becomes situational. Well, but what if it was happened here and it happened there? And that's that's our 
tendency as human beings is if, you know, we hear one thing, then we'll, but, but what about this? And that's where Jesus really had so much wisdom. And I think people were astonished when he said, love God and love others. Mm -hmm. And that really is where all of these hinge. But if you start drilling down into every little detail of the law, you're just, it's going to become endless. I mean, you guys are both attorneys. You know, the law books are innumerable. They really are, unfortunately. There's not enough ink in the ocean, enough parchment in the yeah. sky to write the law of God or, you know, yeah. or the, the, the well, laws, you know. It's such a good point what you're raising because that's why Jesus was constantly chastising, right, uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees for being such sticklers for the letter and forgetting the principle. Yeah. And he said you shouldn't have forgotten the letter, but the principle is much more important. And if you read through these, there's a lot of things you can get into the, the weeds about. But there are principles there of accountability, responsibility, restitution that yeah. we talked about earlier that you have to apply across the board. That's applying love. Yeah. <laughs> so the situation is understanding those principles that should come out of here. So should we get into the weeds a little bit? <laughs> well, yeah, I think one of the first ones that's really interesting, uh, Daniels, because uh, you brought it up in your sermon this weekend, is, is this concept of what a doulos is yeah. in 21 uh, verses 5 and 6. So maybe you wanted to expand on that a little bit because we see it created in those verses. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating idea. We talked about it in James because although James was a half-brother of Jesus, he presented himself as a slave or a bond slave of Jesus, and he used that word doulos, and that comes right out of here where, um, you know, a Hebrew slave was only able to, or only supposed to serve for six years, and then on the seventh year, they were released, and this was the year of Jubilee when they were released, and... Um, but if after that time of release came and the servant wanted by his own choice, his own decision to remain in his master's house, and this was because the master treated him well, um, treated him with kindness, talks about because he had his wife and his son and his daughter in that house, he could choose to remain under the the care um, and the covering of his master. And if that um, decision was made, there would actually be a ceremony associated with that where they would take the servant to a doorpost and with an awl pierce through the servant's ear and it would be a mark, almost like a brand that would identify that person as, as a slave um, forever, a love slave. And so, yeah, it was based out of um, a decision, uh, a choice on behalf of the slave. They weren't bound, but because they loved their master, they would do that. So, yeah, I'm sure you guys, you, why don't you add of how that speaks to our relationship to Jesus? Well, amen. Uh, obviously, Jesus was pierced for us, which is the most important part yeah. of it. Um, and then Rob was sharing earlier that our call is to attach ourselves to the Lord, <laughs> um, fair and just and loving master who has treated us extremely well, in fact, mm -hmm. better than well, in paying for the debts that we owed to buy us out of slavery. Um, and the call to salvation is to become a doulos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's actually, I think, a messianic prophecy in the book of Psalms that talks about how um, the servant's ear was opened, uh, mm -hmm. talking about how Jesus was sacrifice for us. Yeah, you mentioned, Daniel, that you know we could get into the weeds a little bit here, but without getting too deep, um, it is fascinating since you've got um, two attorneys here to talk a little bit about the um, 
the really the some of the roots of the Anglo-American legal system uh, that you see in here, whether it's uh, differing degrees of murder and punishments for the different degrees, whether it's the foreseeability that something you may do may harm someone else. There's that verse in here that says if, you're, if your ox has gored someone in the past and then he gores someone, now you're liable for it because you should have known that he had a tendency um, to gore others. And so, so we, we see these fascinating things where the, where the law is really concerned about the, the intent and, and, the, and the, what's going on in the mind of the, the person who's accused of committing something as much as it's concerned about externally what they did. Well, and Rob, you raised this earlier, and I think it's a very important point of where our legal system has gotten off a little bit in that, um, and if you also look at what is happening here in so much of this section, it is intended to uh, shape responsibility and behavior rather than to punish. Right. And so much of our legal system has become about punishment, whereas this is about, hey, you're going to have to restore, you're going to have to pay four times as much. Why don't you take care to control your ox before right. you have to pay for it? Right. And so the intent is really to change behavior much more yeah. than it is to punish anybody once something has been done. Yeah. And we've lost that in our- For instance, in the master-servant relationship, you know, we get that principle in here where an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, foot for foot. But if a master knocks out the tooth of his servant, the servant doesn't knock out the master's tooth. It's that the servant gets his freedom. That's right. Which and high so cost of the master. that was a high cost to the master, which would shape the master's behavior toward his servants right. and say, I'm not going to knock out my servant's tooth because that would cost me a lot. And I think that's or, I mean, what we I'm have to understand. I'm not even going to beat my servant unless it's yeah. a really good cause because the risk is too high. It, well, and I think that that's what we should see too about the law and what it reveals is there's a cost to sin. Amen. There's a high cost. And, you know, praise God that Jesus paid that high cost with his blood. But we need to take responsibility for our sin. And there is something here about consequence for sin that we need to really own and see. Yeah, there's a, a fascinating um, sort of precursor of of Christ in uh, verse 13 of, of, of chapter 21, where the, a, a place that someone who was accused could run to for, for refuge, which later becomes known as the cities of refuge, which is really a picture of the refuge we have in Christ to escape judgment, which is a, a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, based on what you were just saying a minute ago, Daniel, another interesting thing we see in here, though, is that in God's mind, justice is not just dealing with the bad guys. Justice is doing what's right to other people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it yeah, includes both. Good. And sometimes yeah. we lose sight of that. We think justice is all about just dealing with, with criminals. Justice is also about just doing what's right to your fellow human being. We, we, we see that all through here. Yeah, you know, God doesn't just want humanity to survive. He wants humanity to yeah. thrive. Excellent. And a lot of times when we think about God's justice, is how are we just going to make it through this world without killing each other? Whereas God wants us to think about how we can make it through this world, blessing each other and, and, and seeing life produced. Um, mm -hmm. So it's important that we don't just yeah look at. And that's a really good point, too, because I think that a lot of times Christians only think about um, sin in regards to sins that you commit, sins of commission, where there's a whole other part of sin, which is sins of omission. Mm -hmm. um, it's James that talks right. about this, right? Where it's it's not just um, the person who 
does bad, but it's also the person who knows what is right and does not do it to him. That is also sin. And so we can't just look at, as, at sin as the bad things that we do, but also the good things that we're not doing. And one of those things, since you are raising this point, and it's one of my, is rejoice. Mm. We are commanded to rejoice. And we so often don't do it. We so often um, are just, number one, either fearful of what's to come, um, or we are focused on the negative rather than all the things that God has given us to rejoice. And one of my favorite statements I heard, I heard a rabbi say this, and I loved it. He says, he believed that we would have to pay, uh, not just for all the sins we committed, but he believed honestly that we would one day pay for all the times we didn't take advantage of all the beauty that God had given us to enjoy. Mm. And I loved that statement. Where uh, were you hanging out with a rabbi? <laughs> I love that. I love it too. <laughs> if anyone doesn't realize that Ben Kai is actually uh, half Jewish, so um, well, awesome. actually, messianic Jew. That's right. If that's you right. go back to the Westminster Confession, one of the greatest creeds ever written, the very first one is, what is the chief aim of man? The chief aim of man is to glorify God and... Enjoy him forever. forever. Yeah. So Amen. God actually commands that that Amen. we wouldn't we wouldn't enjoy him. Um, so that yeah, fascinating stuff, guys. So um, another concept I kind of saw in here at the at the thirty thousand foot level is the answer to Cain's question: Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we see that all through here. Yes, you are. <laughs> I mean, you are to care for your fellow human being. <clears throat> and since you bring up Cain, it, isn't that almost the First time where God talks about that city of refuge of being the yeah, avenging of yes, blood Cain himself yes, that he does. was marked, and so even for the murder, God has mercy, yeah. and um, yeah, so yeah, you you were your brother's keeper, but sin crouched at the door and tried to make you its master, and it did. Thank you, because uh, what a beautiful picture of the mercy God shows for Cain, the mercy he expects that we would show. But when you just said that, Daniel, that cut to my heart because I'm the murderer mm. and the mercy that God has for me. <clears throat> I felt that. And, and I was thinking the same thing, Ben Kai, because you, you see a tie between what Daniel just shared and what one of the things Jesus teaches on in the Sermon on the Mount with his point being that the, that the sin starts in our, the sinful attitude in our heart, yeah. because, um, he does this with with lust and adultery and anger and murder. He basically says, you, you you think you've never committed adultery, and all the legalistic Pharisees were sitting there thinking, oh, I'm such a good guy, I never did that. But then he says, but wait a minute, if you lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery already. And what's he, what he's saying is, is this, lust is the hard attitude that can but doesn't always, because of societal laws, manifest itself in the sin of adultery. So he says, there's where the problem starts. And then he does the same thing with murder. He says, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit murder. And the legalistic people are sitting there thinking, oh, great, I've never done that. And he says, but have you ever been angry with your brother? You've committed it in your heart. And if you go back to the very first murder, right before Cain kills Abel, it says Cain was angry at Abel. Yeah. And so anger is the hard attitude that can, but doesn't always manifest itself in the act of murder. And that's why... We're going to be seeing it in James in a couple weekends, but that's why humanistic anger is sinful. Yeah. Um, well, even with regards to what Jesus talked about divorce, we talk, we see in the Word of God that there are laws concerning divorce, but Jesus said those laws were only given because of your hardness of heart. We wouldn't have these right. laws in place if it wasn't already beginning with the inner man, what's happening inside of you. And... 
That's why we need to be renewed from the inside out. We need, um, as Romans chapter 8 will say, we are not to walk by by the flesh, which um, we would follow the the law of sin and death, but we are to walk by the Spirit following the law of the Spirit, which is life and Amen. righteousness. Because so, this law that we're studying could never change the inner man. Couldn't change the inner man. It's outward reform, and it just can't, it can't produce the heart change that only the Spirit of God and the grace of God can do. Amen. And I would just add to that, then, uh, and that's the work that Jesus did. He gives us a new heart when we are saved. But... For those who would argue, what's the point of reading the law anymore? It doesn't apply to the new covenant. Our job is to renew our minds, which comes from reading God's law right. yeah. <laughs> and understanding the principles underlying it. That creates in us the new mind that allows us and, to walk. And look at the understanding David had of that, because in Psalm 51, his great psalm of repentance, after he commits adultery and murder and hypocrisy before the nation, what he prays for is, God, give me a clean heart, renew yeah. in me a clean heart, because yeah. he knows that's yeah. where the problem starts. Yeah. yeah. And Paul's very clear as he makes his argument throughout the book of Romans that the law is still there, it's still in place, and it's good. There's nothing wrong with the law itself. It's what our once our flesh grabs hold of that law, what it can produce is, you know, that that's what we're talking about. But the law itself is the promises and the oracles of God. Um, Absolutely. But it doesn't lead to salvation because we can't live it out. Sure. And the Pharisees were the example of that. Um, even in following the letter of the law, their pride was breaking <laughs> the mm -hmm. principle of the law. Uh, and so it'll always lead to sin. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't negate the need to seek to live under the principles that God has given us as to what a righteous life looks like. Well, like what you said to just a minute ago, the murderer is me, right? And I love the first sermon on the day of Pentecost where Peter stands up and he says, you murdered the giver of life. And every single one of us by our sin has a responsibility in the murder of Jesus. Um, and, you know, the, the Jews were responsible for killing Jesus. So nobody could ever say it's the Gentiles who killed him. The Gentiles had a responsibility, so they could never say it was the Jews. We all have every human being, especially on the level of just our sin. We, we killed Jesus and we, we murdered the giver of life. And only he can show that mercy to forgive us and redeem us. And, that, and that's a great way to end this because when, when you look at these laws, if we did get into the weeds, you realize that the burden of keeping them is an impossible burden. There's no way you could possibly keep all these and, and, and you need a savior <laughs> to save you for the times you have violated them and to fulfill them for you because you can't possibly do this on your own. Amen. I love that. Well, this is definitely one of those chapters where, you know, you could, or a couple chapters where you could read through and I'm sure it stirs up a lot of questions and um, if anyone listening reads it and has a question for Pastor Rob or, or Ben Kai or myself, we'd love to answer them, you know, on Sunday or during the week or whatever. But Absolutely. Um, I really do love that we took this high level view, as you're saying, because there are things in here that, you know, if you just were to try to um, follow tit for tat kind of thing, we, we just we'd be here all day. <laughs>
Well, that reminds me if I can close with a lawyer joke. Sure. Um, so, so there were, was a, uh, uh, um, a, a pastor, a doctor, and a lawyer were sitting around talking about who, who's, who has the oldest profession. And, you know, the, the, the pastor said, well, I, I certainly I do because, you know, in the beginning God created and that I'm in that sort of business. Um, the doctor said, no, well, actually kind of I do because, you know, God made life and we're in the business of, of, of healing and, and helping restore people to, to physical life. But then the lawyer said, no, actually, we are the oldest profess profession because who do you think created the chaos that existed before God <laughs> created the heavens and the earth? That's awesome. <laughs> so fantastic. And the best part is that one of our pastors is also a doctor. We should have been Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Well, really good. And uh, always enjoy these times and we'll do more of them. Amen. Amen. Amen.